Greetings. Welcome to the Optic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Optic's Executive Director of Strategic Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer to transforming corporate executive protection, event security, and intelligence services teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, intelligence, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protection through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the discussion. Well, I'm sitting here with uh, Jim Bernhardt, who is the uh, corporate security leader for Nicola Motor Company. But as I look at your background, Jim, and you know, we've talked a little bit, you, you have an interesting background in terms of your, your pathway into where you are now, having been a physical security manager at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, also with the U.S. Army, and then you know, working in, in Hanford as, as a DOE person. So thanks for coming on the podcast and thanks for, for joining Ontic's uh, GSX pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chuck. I'm curious, we were kind of talking before the mic about the level of training and like very attentive training that, that you got in the DOE towards, you know, crisis response and both on the tactical end and also the probably the planning end, because I, I believe you were a lieutenant in that in that organization. Can you say a little bit about the the level of like crisis management and operational planning that uh, that you did that informed your position now? Yeah, it was a great um, starting point for the the planning side, doing tabletop exercises, uh, live force on force exercises. Since they're protecting special nuclear material, they, they have armed security response forces that, by regulation, have to be trained four times a year, um, protecting against you know the their adversarial threat. So they spend a lot of time planning and rehearsing and training mm-hmm. those security officers to be, you know, able to to win every every four months they have to or three months have to win those force on forces or you know a lot of a lot more training will go into that. So it was just a great um, way to learn how to do you know risk assessments, how to lead a, a small team, how to manage, you know, a Union Guard force, um, and then just understanding, you know, that response matrix where it's, you know. Well, it's interesting because there's like the governance involved in it. Like you say, like, look, if we fail this, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to do, which, which, you know, also if we fail it, uh, like bad things could happen on the other end of that. But I think about that, like using that as a corporate security person or using it as a risk security person that says, look, you know, if we fail, you know, in terms of emergency, you know, uh, enterprise risk management, emergency response, I love the, I'm always a big fan of tabletops. You know, what scenario can we build that we can bring everybody together to the table and say, hey, my team will do this, what will your team do? And then kind of use that to develop standard, you know, uh, unified protocols. No, that's a great point with the, uh, having confidence in your teammates and the other, so there was a, I was part of the special response team, which is yeah. kind of like a SWAT team. And then there was SPO ones they called, which were a different, led by a different person, a different team, but you, you understood that they were at that same high level of training and that they, they're going to do their jobs and they're going to be where they're supposed to be. So you could do your job and kind of move in a different direction. Well, we have a shared background of both. We, you know, we were both military officers and, you know, as much fun as they want to say, you know, give us a compass and put us loose and we have no idea where we are. One thing we do know is course of action development, which for me personally, probably for you as well, that's always been a big part of my 
risk life too is like what options are we developing against you know what is the issue what are the options we're developing so we can understand like what's the likely one what's less likely and then how you know how we can look at that in terms of our security planning how have you used that yeah um so in my current role i like to look at the financial report that 10k yeah i love that just to pick I out what just for everyone's sake i did not pay jim to say that so <laughs> thank you sir no i it's a, it's a great way to, to get, you know, what the company has said their risks are. So then you can write those down and see the ones that you can have an impact on as a security provider or security professional, your company. Um, Cause then they can't claim that it's not a risk because you know, they wrote it down. So. Well, oh, that's true. Hey, I wrote it down, but also I've taken, you know, I've heard people kind of poo poo the 10 K before, but I'm always one of those like, this is what's being reported to the USG. It's, right. Therefore, you know, these risk factors are important at some level. What's well, a good inroad as a security person to get buy-in because, you know, they can't say it's not a risk or it's not that important. Right. What you want to do isn't going to impact anything because they've already kind of documented that. So, yeah, and I like your idea too. Like I'm going to list it out and then underneath it, you know, however you do it, spreadsheet or whatever, like what am I doing against this risk? Right. Like you're saying, you can kind of come up with different ways that that 10k can be impacted so adversary or just an employee an insider threat or you know outside person trying to cause harm to the company um, come up with different scenarios and then plan against how you how you mitigate those you know what are more likely than the others and then mitigations that you could put against that and then get you know what the company would approve you know spend wise so it's also a good way to budget against yeah well that's also i also i i like that idea and i can imagine like that part like taking that list, prioritizing the list, and then understanding what your budget ask or your budget line is for that. I mean, yeah. look. Well, ranking, it, ranking it against, you know, they put it in, a, you know, the 10K, but I don't, it's not really prioritized yeah. by risk. So ranking it with your business unit stakeholders to say, is this really the top risk? And then kind of resource allocating based on those. Yeah, for ranking. sure. And every budget has a delta. Uh, you know, that kind of hard, hardish line, if you will, that if you're kind of like further away from, you are from the line one side or the other, you're likely going to get that funded or uh, maybe next year. Right. Obviously those those change as, as we go through the fiscal year or the calendar year, but. Yeah, like I budget that every time I go to spend money, I still have to re, re-justify how, the need. And- how do you think, is, thinking about 10K and you know, thinking immediately about, you know, we're going to walk through the rest of your, your history, but already think of like the DOE and that level of like you said, if we fail this, we have a lot of stuff that goes around it. And now, you know, you, you utilizing the 10K to develop those other scenarios and then put budget around. Does that inform your metrics? <laughs> yeah, metric, that's a good one. I mean, I try to, yeah, I'm always trying to come up with the usable metrics that are impactful and make sense to, you know, business units. They're all sales-based or, you know, headcounts and um, things not happening is kind of a hard metric to explain and, to them. And that's often the case, like nothing happened here, that's a great metric. I mean, for you and I, I mean, you know, we kind of understand what that means, but for yeah. others who are like, well, nothing happened, so why do we need to, exactly. why do we need to spend that? Right. So that's no, always a, a struggle for me to develop those metrics you you and everyone listening right (laughs) it was like how do we how do we develop that metric line this is here's where we need to you know to put i mean you're in a company now that i mean supply line you know supply chain is a huge it's big for everybody pretty big for you yeah i mean how do you how do you think about (laughs) yeah how do you think about that in terms of your supply chain 
I mean, honestly, our supply chain is pretty fixed. We buy a lot of our um, parts and pieces from a partner company that they source it and then sell it to us. So mm -hmm. um, they are trying to bring it all in in country and lower the cost on that kind of thing. So um, partnering with the supply chain team to understand what are the high value critical parts and pieces that they have. So mm -hmm. some things we I support if they have a overnight shipment, you know, hand delivering parts. We're facilitating getting them into the factory, getting mm -hmm. the parts delivered so that they can make products the next day. So really adding that kind of value to the manufacturing team. So after you, you know, you also went on to be a physical security manager at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. I kind of understand, you know, I, you know, I'm from the, I'm from the PNW myself, shout out. Um, and I understand what that is, but for the audience, can you explain what that, you know, what that, what that facility is? Yeah. So it's uh, a Department of Energy National Laboratory. There's like 12 or 13 of them across the country that do research and development in physics, chemistry, science, and yep. a lot of it was based on the, the nuclear, uh, they call it nuclear security complex, where they're developing nuclear weapons, warhead designs, developing plutonium and uranium, um, and how they explode. So that's how all those started back in the 50s and 60s, right. supporting the nuclear so weapons. So how did, how did your mind shift have to go from that tactical commander, if you will, or tactical team leader to now I have to, I'm the manager of, you know. Well, that was a... I worked there for about eight and a half, nine years. So I started out at a, on a <clears throat> security assessment program for radiological material. We go interesting international, less than high income countries. These security assessments, then security upgrades, uh, paid for by the U.S. government for cesium and cobalt sources that you could steal and make a dirty bomb with. So they called it a second line of defense or first line of defense program where we were out in those countries protecting them in place with alarms and cameras and access control. Um, so then I used that uh, more uh, in the field experience, um, working with systems, working with integrators, um, other cultures, and then took that. And there was a lot of travel, so I, I didn't want to travel yeah. as much. <laughs> so I went to try to get an in-house position at the at the lab. Yeah. So managing the security for for the laboratory. How does uh, I mean, how does risk assessment play in, you know, factor into what you do now? I can, I can only imagine that has a lot that informed you a lot as you moved up the chain in you know in the security career yeah it, it was really nice to be able to do it for that long it's almost second nature when you walk yeah through a facility you can just do a lot of it in your head where you're kind of seeing deficiencies or systems or gaps in in the security posture so you kind of understand where you can fix that um especially working i work basically by myself at the company so i do a lot of things on my own so it makes it easy to do it that well, way. I mean, it, but as we're growing, I have to. That's why I'm here looking for systems and programs and things I can start using that'll automate a lot more. It's so crucial too to have that strategic risk assessment, so you kind of understand like where do we start, right? You know, sometimes like, oh my man, this house is a mess. I'm not saying your organization's a mess, but you walk in or cover down on something like, oh man, what's going on here? What do I, I where do I start? You know, and having that top-down look from risk it says strategically like you said 10k here's what they here's what's being said here's how we're looking at it here's who doesn't like us here nation states otherwise bad guys whatever here's the people that are looking at us i mean it's how i'm you know super important to help inform like what i'm going to do day to day yeah that's a good point where using some of those um social media monitoring tools or threat mm -hmm. monitoring yeah systems to inform your risk and things you don't know that people are saying about your company or your executives or employees, yeah. uh, monitoring travel, you know, 
they, they're on a trip to Mexico to visit a supplier and you don't know they're there, you know, if something happens to them, how are you going to get them back? Or yeah, often. Them, and, so. and also, what, what are your, you know, if you're in a complex, you know, if, if we had a complex supply chain that we were dealing with, who are those vendors? What are they saying? How, you know, what what's being said about them? I mean, I yep. think you and I might call those like second and third orders of effect, but I mean, those, you know, those ancillary risks, uh, you know, are important. Um, how do you think, I mean, how do you, you know, you, so as you moved up the chain at, uh, at Pacific Northwest Labs and you're like, you're like, look, I don't want to travel as much. I can only imagine the uh, travel nightmare that was your, uh, <laughs> and how many miles you had if you were allowed to keep them. And yeah, then, that was, that was nice. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm a double gold secret mile member on Delta or, or BA yeah. or whatever. But I mean, you know, now you're traveling less. I mean, how does that affect the way that you manage and how does that affect, the, you know, not saying like, you know, when you go from I'm being very tactical and out in the field a lot, how do you start adjusting your mindset to be more strategic and less like I'm at the pointy end of things and now I'm at the more planning end of things? Yeah, that's uh, something I'm still working on, I think, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your candor, my friend. Right. <laughs> Just being more strategic in your strategy, uh, having taking time to sit down and you know write out your year, yeah. next year goals, yep. priorities. You know, talk to your stakeholders, your boss, and saying here's here's what I think I need to do next year to be successful and have a successful corporate security program. Yeah, and then getting that feedback and then planning how you're going to achieve that, and then how much it might cost. Uh, how many if you need to hire people or hire contractors or vendors. So being really strategic in the planning up front yeah. for the next year and then even, you know, three years and five years out longer term. Is it harder to be the boss? Yeah. Well, I, I have one person that works for me now, so you're not, still the boss. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, you know, I mean, it challenges cause you, I mean, supporting se them. security leadership, I think is risk leadership is, can be difficult. I, I'm not saying we have difficult people, but it can be difficult because oftentimes you have to translate risk. Like, right. How do you, like you said earlier, like how do I get the decision makers in on this? Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to push for security mitigation strategies that some other business unit doesn't want to do because they, they don't see the value in it or they think it costs too much, it's mm -hmm. getting buy-in that, yes, we need corporate security, we need physical security, we need you know cyber security. Um, here's what I think we need to do. And then a lot of convincing and storytelling that's something uh, I'm also working on is yeah. no, delivering that message better so it gets accepted without a lot of back and forth or yeah. just I, I love the idea of storytelling as a leader because, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of like personally of like, let's tell scary stories to right. get people like that. No, that's not going to work in the long term. But, you know, yeah. a understanding, I think, you know, I'm an old information operations person, key themes and messages. What is it that we're trying to make sure that stakeholders understand about our Some, organization. Sometimes they just don't, they don't see the risk the same way you do and they're fine with why, status quo. So. Why is that? We have, why do you think, just why do you think we have trouble translating risk to the, to the C-suite? Um, I mean, I've, I read about it a lot. Say so you're not speaking the right business language or you're not expressing it the right way. I think that some executives just don't consider it to be as big of a risk as you do. The person that lives it and thinks about yep. Security issues, workplace violence, you know, somebody well, sneaking into the factory and inserting a thumb drive into our computer systems, which, you know. Yeah, I think sometimes that. when 
it might be also sometimes I sometimes call it the BBC effect. Like we hear these things on the BBC or on CNN or you know what I, insert your news magazine here, but we don't like we're used to seeing things develop on screens. Yeah, and then when they're in front of us, it almost seems like unfathomable. Like, is this really happening to us? Like, wh- what do you mean we have a breach going on or we've had like an, an incident at a at a manufacturing lab or something? Yeah. And I, I wonder sometimes for us as leaders, like helping to describe, like, here's the key scenario, go back to um, here's key scenarios and objectives that we or key scenarios we might see. Let's plan around each of them so that we help leaders evolve. So they've already made the decision. It's like I think we go back to like our, our time in, in the, the tactical world, like helping strategically leaders not flinch in the moment. Like, OK, we this is happening. We've talked about this. Let's break out the playbook and go get it done. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, how have you seen that play out or you know, have you used that at all on your own? I mean, luckily, we haven't had any real incidents since Knock I've been on wood. where I am. So, um, but we did have, I mean, we have some media attention and sure. things like that where the company has had some crisis management or crisis response in the communication side yep. and dealing with issues. So they, they have some familiarity with that, but it hasn't been specific to a How do you incident. Do you have any recommendations for people in terms of like, hey, here's the best way to kind of like partner with your strategic, you know, with your, strate- I guess, strategic partners in your organization? Do you any tips or, or ideas like what's the best way to? <laughs> yeah, just getting to know them, you know, the cop, cop, cup of coffee idea or yep. having lunch or just setting up regular recurring meetings so that they they know who you are. You, that's not the first time you're talking to them and yep. something's happening. That explaining the program, just trying to get them to understand what security really does. It's not security guard. It's not, you know, just a fence or Yeah, it's camera. not guns, gates, and guards all the time. Like a, doing things behind the scenes, trying to mitigate risk, and here's how it's happening. Yep. So I they mean, understand that it, there's more to it than just... You, you're just a very the, approachable person. I mean, very quiet, very approachable. I can only... I mean, that that's a great way to be, you know, in your organization too. Like, Hey, you know, I'm not a secret squirrel, cool person, cool guy, cool girl, whatever. You know, you come, let's have coffee and talk, put a human face on security. So you understand like, Hey, I'm just, I'm trying to get this done. Just like you're trying to get, you know, your objectives done. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, in terms of like your day-to-day activity and you come into the work and you turn on the computer, you start looking at things. What do you obsess about every day? Like, what's one thing like I, you find yourself like, I'm always thinking about this or looking at this or, or is, is there one thing? No, I mean, I definitely, you know, start the morning, read the news, you know, Google news. I, I read a couple uh, websites that are, I think have pretty accurate up to the current mm-hmm. correct news. Um, I scan our, you know, our monitoring tool looking for yeah. whatever happened and I'll go through the emails, um, just really, Make sure I'm on top of whatever I have to do that day, and then for you know the next few days after that. How was uh how was the um I mean we're kind of at a I mean dare we say like a post COVID environment whatever this is going to be hybrid work whatever all that I mean how was that when you were in you know you kind of had that moment of like hey there's a COVID thing going on and we're going to be in some new state of play for the next while whether that's lockdown whether that's figuring something out I mean how did that how did that factor into, you know, your job at the time and trying to figure that out? Well, actually, before I worked at Nikolai, I worked at Lamb Weston, which is a yep. uh, food manufacturer. They make French fries. 
frozen frozen potato products. They were very COVID centric. They they set up a you know they really did an amazing job. Had a hell of a whole checklist. I mean, they stood up the whole team, mm-hmm. all the different business units and subject matter experts, and really had a great plan. And then I went to my new job in June of, or July of 2020, and it was completely opposite. They Arizona didn't have COVID. Uh, <laughs> like we, there were, I mean, we had masks and yeah. hand sanitizer. People would, you know, wouldn't come to work if they were sick or you know get testing and stuff. But it was the other company. You know, they didn't go to the office for like almost a year. Right. Where, so it was just a different, completely different mindset and mentality about. I think from a startup that the mission was too important to them to you know, yeah. take that time off. They couldn't do the work they needed to do, and yeah. so they they took a different approach to it, which I think was just as successful. I mean, in the long run. Well, I, I mean, flexible, adaptable. I mean, if we can, yeah. if we can, you know, use a Marine Corps adage there. I mean, you know, flexible, adaptable situation. Like, hey, this, re- you know, this company requires this. Basically, time, place. Where are they? What are they working on? Somewhere else? Maybe not so much. Maybe they, you know, we're already in a hybrid work environment, or maybe we just don't find that it's affecting us as much. Yeah, a lot of people could. You know, computer programmers and engineers that could work from home on their computers. Yep. I mean, they did take a couple of months off, like the March, April, yep. May time frame. But. Well, and it's far more easier. And, you know, I could see it's far more easier if you have programmers and things like that to work from home. I experienced that myself as opposed to, hey, we, you know, fries fries won't cut themselves, you know, or, you know, you know potatoes, these just don't manifest, you know, manifest in a bag and show up on a... Yeah, and you have to, you have, to have your French fries. Yeah. Um, Jim, how do you think about, uh, how do you, you know, we, I'm curious, you know, you, you go back to your time as a, in the tactical world and then coming up through DOE and now, as you've said, like, Hey, I, I work, you know, for a manufacturer and now, you know, you work in, uh, in, in, in the, the motor world. Um, what's your personal thoughts or what's your observations on like public private partnerships? I mean, you know, you went from like, hey, I'm working for like DOE. We're getting a lot of information from the government because we're part of the government. Yeah. Then I'm working for the lab and we're still probably getting a lot of information because who we are now. Hey, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm working for, you know, now maybe it, the emphasis is less on me. So how do I, you know, how should I think about sharing information or getting information from my my peers in the public space? Yeah, it's um, that's one of the first things I did was reach out to, you know, the Phoenix Police Department and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Local FBI office because we are a you know a technology company. We're developing you know hydrogen fuel cell trucks and electric vehicles, which is something a lot of other countries are interested in. Yeah, and also the manufacturing space. It's in a different county, Pinal County. Yep. So it's a small, very rural area, but they have the town we're closest to is uh, Coolidge. So reach out to them and just sharing information, and showing them the facility, and giving them tours, and you know really yeah, very smart, allowing them to. Potentially use our, our site for training in the future if you know if that's something they want to do. Yeah, and I think that's a great I think that's a great tool. You're like, hey, look, come and train, come and walk through, come and understand the campus. It's only going to help us if you know, yeah, heaven forbid, something should happen. That we time need to, to yeah. The factory is like twenty minutes, so it's, yeah. Oh you know, my gosh, <laughs> yeah. very important they get there as quickly as possible. And then once they get there, they know what, what to do and where to go. So. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, like you said, you what you guys are developing and working on. I mean, nation states are interested. I mean, everybody's interested in that space now. I mean, you know, some nation states just flat out, you know, if you look at the China, China, what is it, five-year plan, they'll, you know, that the country yeah. will come out and say, this is what we're interested in. 
this is what we're looking at. And so it's, you know, it's, it's almost a way for us to kind of flag the risk to look at it. And you can understand like in those certain facilities, how do you harden it and maybe have those folks out and say, hey, let's train here. So we kind of, you know, we understand and maybe it's a good way to also, you know, bring visibility to the employees. Yep. Yeah, no, it's very important, I think, in the tech manufacturing space and zero emission vehicles in the future are really kind of where all these companies are going to. I mean, yeah. California has banned combustion engines in 10 years. So. Yeah. Washington's right behind them. I mean, so, I mean, it is it is an interesting space. I've, I've worked with some startups in this area, too, and, you know, they're very focused on their IP, you know, intellectual property uh, management, intellectual property security, and ensuring that the keys of the kingdom remain behind locked doors. Yep. Same here. So, Jim, so what's what's been interesting at GSX? Yeah, it's just great to see all the people here. I mean, have it back yeah. and going. I'm a real big fan of GSX and as is in general. So um, it's great to see all the support. Um, definitely interested in a lot of the Mass notification and intelligence and alerting and yeah. kind of the support features for corporate security <clears throat> for the intelligence and analysis features that I think can add a lot of value if you can share that information quickly with stakeholders and they can see the value in your your position and um, that's been helpful helpful for me to be able yeah. to share some things that the communications team didn't know about or the business team didn't know about but you know I let my boss know and so he could tell people so. So uh, one last question for you, like, you know, I, again, I, I think you've, you've got a very interesting background coming from this very tactical denial, like, you know, the hard and tactical, hey, if we don't pass this, you know, we're going to have to do a lot of retraining to now think in terms more strategically now, uber strategically thinking in a space that has a combination of tech and uh, show us safe forward thinking, you know, uh, like zero emission uh, vehicles, et cetera. What's what do you think is interesting on the risk horizon? Not necessarily as the the security leader in your space, but just as somebody who has that background and information. I mean, what's int- what, when I say interesting, like what do you look at on the horizon and say, man, this is something that I, I think people should be focused on? Yeah, I think it definitely goes back to the, you know, cutting edge technology development and pushing yep. that out. If you're in that type of industry, you should really be aware of there are entire countries that want to steal that or take it or buy it from you or you know trick you into giving it away. So making sure your company employees are trained on, you know, awareness, like who they're talking to, who's, you know, LinkedIn. You get random invites from people, maybe not accept them. Just making sure they're aware that there are people out there that want to take the company's yep. valuable property and then take your job away so being understanding that risk and being aware of it so i think our company does actually are pretty skeptical of a lot of emails and they'll constantly as you should be right because that's the easiest way in you're not getting a free puppy don't click here (laughs) even for emails for me on accident they'll question so which is good but i think just understanding that companies have to raise their game up and partner with our federal government for you know the CISA booth that's here Mm -hmm. i think it's really great to have them here as a resource and understanding that that risk and is there and we have options as well as companies to protect ourselves yeah for sure and i 
I think, you know, we've, you and I have both seen a, a time when like, hey, we, you know, now we have see something, say something, you know, definitely post 9-11 and all that. And I think that's bleeding more and more into the corporate space where it's like, hey, look, we have a culture of, you know, what's the old adage, trust but verify, you know, yeah. whereas before like, hey, I'm going to hold the door open for you. You know, I'm not, you know, oh, you know, Jim is acting a little bizarre. I don't want to say anything, but, but now I think I, I'm hopeful that more companies and, and security cultures are coming around to the, the culture of questioning, like, hey, it's great. You know, I'm going to need you to badge in or let's ask, did you, Jim, did you actually send me this email? Or, you know, yeah. oftentimes I'll send a mail to somebody and put something that I know specifically. If I send you a link, I might say, hey, we were at GSX together and talked about this. So, you know, like, oh, OK, well, and even then, you know, a lot of times I get things bounced back like, is this you? Yeah. Right. So. Awesome. Jim, how do people follow you if they if they want to, like, maybe engage you in conversation or kind of follow what you're, um, what you're interested in? I'm on in? LinkedIn. I mean, that's, yep. that's about the only... You don't want to give your personal cell phone? I mean, what's, the, what's the problem? Should I give it? No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> yeah, you can look me up. You know, I'm always open to connections and yep. having conversations. Yep, and pretty active on LinkedIn. I appreciate some of the stuff that you put out there, so... Um, Jim, thanks for coming by the, the Antic Podcast booth. Appreciate uh, your time. And hope that you enjoy the rest of GSX. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, boss. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co forward slash center. Again, ontic.co forward slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music track is called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co forward slash center for more information. Thank you for listening.